Forward, a Fiserv podcast, features conversations with the people moving financial services and commerce forward. Here's your host, Jason Hendricks with Fintech Forge. Extreme events can generate extraordinary results. Challenging conventions became the new norm in responding to the pandemic and need to distribute funds to small businesses. In this episode, Mike Sikorsky, Chief Credit Officer at Belmont Bank and Trust, and Dave Makinich, SVP, Strategy, Marketing, and Product Management for Account Processing at Fiserv, talk about how Challenging Convention enabled them to accomplish extraordinary things. Mike is Head of Lending with Belmont Bank and Trust in Chicago, not to be confused with Belmont Bank in Belmont, Massachusetts. But you know, when I think about Belmont Bank and Trust, you know, it really epitomizes what it means to be a community bank in your response during the pandemic. You were not an SBA lender at the start yet you nearly made as many loans in a matter of days as you had in the same number of months before then. Why did Belmont find it so important to jump into that fray? Yeah, from the very get-go, it wasn't a question of if we were going to do it, but how we were going to get involved and how we were going to do it. You know, we have, you know, a number of customers that, you know, we have customers who I know their father that grew up their kids. We have, you know, family members. We have family members of family. I mean, it just the network of people we've built over the last 14 years is people that we're close to. We know on, you know, not only a business level, but a personal level. So we jumped right in. We're not an SBA lender. So right from the get-go, we're like, all right, how do we become an SBA lender? Even before they rolled out, all right, the portals and stuff, we were like, all right, let's get our SBA lender number. Let's get involved with how do we get into E-Tran? And it was a process every single day, reaching out to SBA field offices, the CLS helpline, just everything we could do right off the bat to get involved and get the capability to help the people as quickly as possible. Somebody used the term not too long ago that we were economic first responders. And a lot of times that, that's really what it felt like is that we were you know, trying to answer people's questions when we didn't have the answers. We were trying to give people as much information as possible, trying to really, you know, get in front of this problem as much as we can and get money out the door as quickly as possible. Now, of all of the challenges you encountered, what was most surprising to you that you, you know, either at its depth or the fact that it even was a problem in the first place? <laughs> the depth of just trying to get information, you know, everybody was trying to get the same information. And, you know, I commend the SBA for rolling out a program where they did you know, years worth of lending in a very short period of time, but just answering basic questions and everybody's situation is a little different where, you know, how someone classifies an employee or how they do payroll or how they pay someone for different benefits. And just every single case in this, you know, in this situation was different where we'd answer one question and someone would come up with a slightly different question, but it wasn't always the same answer. And just the multitude and I was caught off guard initially by how many different scenarios and situations there were for individual small businesses and trying to answer those in a timely manner with the information we had at hand and with the information changing, you know, day to day, hour to hour. That was just, you know, staggering and it was tough to deal with. But I think at the end of the day, it was extremely rewarding when we were able to get these people money and a lot of times in very, very short time frames and quick time frames where they were able to change you know, sometimes staffing decisions where they said, hey, if I didn't get this money today, I was going to have to start laying people off. You know, so that was wow. extremely satisfying. So where did you turn to for information? 
Right. There is conflicting information, delayed information. You're trying to build the airplane while you're flying it. And for you, you, you know, you weren't even at the airport yet when you started to build the plane. So where'd you get the information you needed? Yeah, we, we got it from anywhere and everywhere. You know, we had people, I was, you know, there were days where I was refreshing the SBA and treasury website dozens of times a day, waiting for new posts and new FAQs to be released. I graduated from the graduate school banking uh, up in Madison, Wisconsin in 2016. So we had a number of group chats and text message chains going back and forth to see the group, you know, Hey, how are you guys handling the promissory note? How are you guys getting through this part of ETRAB? You know, and it was, it's funny, the forgiveness application just came out yesterday. I actually got a group text yesterday before I got the email from the ABA saying it was released. So the people that we were dealing with were on top of this, you know, working with banks in our market, you know, saying, all right, what have you heard from the SBA? We had one bank that had a really good contact and seemed to have a really close relationship with the field office. So they were saying, all right, here's what the field office is telling us. We split up and kind of divided and conquered in terms of webinars and stuff where we were, you know, we all went on the same webinar. It was going to waste time. So we tried to split up webinars, you know, split up reading. There was a lot of, you know, phone calls late at night, you know, saying, hey, this just came out. I remember sending text messages when we first got our e-tran access hey, to other people in the bank. Hey, what do I do now? And they were reaching out to people that already were SBA lenders to find out how to handle stuff. So other bankers in the community, I mean, I think banks as a whole really put aside any differences, any competitive issues and said, all right, we need to get this money out the door as quickly as possible. So let's work together to try to do that. Now, the, that competition going out the window is really interesting to see you know, the group rise up against really you know, the pandemic became the enemy number one that all of us had to muster forces against. Dave, I'm curious, did Fiserv have a similar set of experiences? We did, and, and like not dissimilar to what Mike was saying at all. And so you know, we've got, I have good contacts throughout the industry as well and, and people in different technology providers that are all throughout the lending value chain. And it was very similar. We had group texts going. We had you know, phone calls late at night, just sort of going back and forth. What are you seeing? What are we seeing? You know, as the, as some of them got their API credentials from the SBA, you know, we were talking with their teams to make sure that they understood, you know, precisely how to format all the data coming out of whatever their front end portals were to make sure that it matched with SBA so they could maximize the, the volume and the, uh, the acceptance rates of their loans. And so it was, it was really interesting. It seemed as though for a moment, you know, much like the soccer game between the German and American troops back in the First World War at Christmas, you know, we all kind of put the weapons down um, and rallied around a, a similar cause for a while. And that was that was really encouraging to see because we did that in conjunction with our bank partners as well. And Mike was mentioning webinars. I mean, we, we did the exact same thing. So in the morning, we would have a stand-up meeting and say, all right, who's going to the ICBA webinar? Who's going to the ABA webinar? Who's going to this one? Who's going to that one? Who's going to this one? And then when we were hosting our own, we were getting thousands and thousands of people attending of our clients. And that was tremendous as well, because it seemed like, you know, we were being viewed as a, as a, as a resource for information at the same time. So I, I don't know if I've ever been a part of that type of almost, um, you know, grassroots collective movement before in my career. And it was really, it was really kind of wonderful to see everybody come together around a, a similar cause. Yeah. So, Mike, I'm curious, in the first round where you were coming from, David mentioned you know, the APIs and the tech they were deployed. Were you able, going from that standing start, to get technology involved? Not right off the bat. So the first round, we did all manual inputs through the uh, eTran website. 
And I can remember the exact moment when they cut off that just, you know, we had multiple applications. People were inputting at the same time and some got done and some got didn't within minutes of each other. But the second round is really where the technology with Pfizer really took off and helped us. You know, we spent from when that Thursday when it ended the first round to the Monday when it rolled up on the second round, we spent a lot of time underwriting, you know, loans, preparing them for submission. And we had, you know, a hundred loans ready to go as soon as the gates opened. And, you know, we were checking it Sunday. We <laughs> had a rotation. You know, people were up at midnight, 3 a.m., 6 a.m., checking the portal to see if maybe they opened it up early. And we had no luck there. But And then when it finally did open up early Monday morning and the portal just died. I mean, the portal, the online portal that we were using to submit loans just was not working. It was across the board. We were talking to people that got, you know, zero loans done for the whole day, one loan. But Fiserv, we used their their technology solution, and we got all 100 loans through that first day on that Monday. And that wow. was a huge feather in our caps to tell people, you know, it was well known in the industry that people weren't getting loans done for us to call pretty much everyone and tell them they got their loan through and done. That was just an absolute joy to be able to do that right off the bat. It's really set us up for success the rest of the second round because it put us ahead of the game, you know, instead of playing catch up. So then we were able to really respond to people quickly for the rest of the second round to get loans done in a day or two for most people. And that was a huge, huge help for us because we actually set up two teams where we had one team working on the portal through the SBA and a second team working on the Fiserv solution. And that second team really did a great job to have us up and running the time for the second round. So you actually were running this in parallel then that you had a tech team kind of chasing the manual. Yeah, we had two teams set up kind of, you know, the manual team was actually mostly lenders because we were kind of the most familiar with the process at that time. We had a couple of lenders involved, a couple of credit analysts, and then we had our IT team work with Fiserv to get this up and running. And we took the approach of, hey, this is a good solution from Fiserv, but it's going to take some time. So we said, let's get as many loans as we can done manually just to keep the process rolling and keep working on the Pfizer thing. And then as soon as that was ready to go, it really, I mean, it saved us that first day when nobody was getting anything done through the end. People were afraid, you know, money was going to run out in a matter of days at that point. Yep. You know, we're lucky money's lasted this time around, but it was huge to be able to knock that out the first round, first day of that second round. So Dave, they made a big change to how as a bank they operate, uh, you know, twofold, right? They didn't do the let's sit and plan until we have certainty and banks certainly never like to be wasteful. The idea of, hey, we're going to, you know, run two teams in parallel. Did Pfizer change the way it operated at all? Oh, unquestionably. We wrote more sort of active new code in 28 days than we probably had in the prior 280. And as a consequence, we had to essentially restructure our entire end-to-end release management process, our QA process. We partnered with our clients on this idea around continuous iteration, continuous deploy, and we managed to sort of completely transform the business from kind of legacy enterprise tech to very, very fast-moving startup. And, you know, luckily for us, I think the the sense of urgency, we call it, we refer to it internally as crisis urgency, right? So we had this sort of crisis urgency about it, and then we changed the way that we do everything from feature development to release. And that, I think, will change the, the way that we do everything going forward, knowing now that we can we can bring forward things with crisis urgency without needing a crisis, which is actually quite nice. Yeah, so whoever has been that loud voice saying, we can never do anything other than quarterly releases effectively been silenced, you learn that that muscle existed. 
Yeah, and beyond that as well, I think Mike mentioned it too. I, I think our our clients are also always kind of interested in in faster releases until you actually bring them forward in a normal setting. And then sometimes you get the you're going too fast. You know, we need to be able to keep up with the change. And I think the crisis urgency now exists for both us and for our clients. And so if we came forward and said we're going to do continuous iteration and continuous deploy, our clients would no longer say, well, whoa, 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 we need to do this, this, and this to get these people trained. I think they're more used to that agile pace as well. And so I wouldn't be surprised we re-baseline the expectations across the board going forward with our clients as well as internally. So that is phenomenal to hear, I think, for the industry as a whole, given how big your reach is. You know, where else are those places you think you, you can shake the rust out around agility? You know, is it more than just the tech sign? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So business agility, thinking about, as I mentioned, the end-to-end release management process also involves things like client communication, sales training, webinars. And we were running those out and pushing those at the same time as we were doing the releases. So the way that we communicate, the way that we work with our clients on feature development, the way that we can facilitate third-party integrations with with fintechs, all of that, I think, is now on a different a different trajectory. And no one's afraid of speed anymore. They're actually welcoming it. And once you take those constraints off and you you sort of realize what people can accomplish, I really do believe you you rebaseline all the expectation in the industry. Mike, did it, this change other ways you operated? Not just this idea of hey, we can do manual and we can run in parallel, but as you think about how you interacted with your customers, did this change rebaseline? I love Dave's phrase there, rebaseline how the relationship works. Yeah, I think they see us more as a leader in terms of how to help them get stuff done. They were open to us for advice, you know, across the board on a number of things. But it was also, it was collaborative in the regards to, you know, our customers shared information that they received that helped us along the way. You know, we had one customer who was a car dealership and one of his accountants put together a, you know, calculator and to how to calculate load amounts for the PPP. And we were able to take that, kind of use that as a starting point and we were able to build our own calculator to disseminate to our customers to help them calculate PPP amounts. So stuff like that, the collaborative effort between us and customers was something I didn't expect. And I think it's something the bank can use going forward in terms of finding out best practices and how to help customers meet their needs. Yeah. In that level of customer intimacy, you know, is maybe one of the silver linings that, you know, that comes out of a pandemic to open up, you know, each other's ears and that kind of collaboration with your lending hat on. And we've got a long road ahead. What steps are you taking to maintain those sorts of listening relationships with your customers? We've rolled up, you know, more points of contact, you know, the reaching out. We have newsletters specific, you know, reaching out mailing lists specific for PPP in addition to our normal mailing lists. You know, we have, I think each individual loan officer has kind of a group they've been assigned within our PPP customers to kind of reach out multiple times whenever there's new updates and stuff. And it's tough now, you know, it's a little bit different for us because we spend a lot of time going out and visiting with customers at their sites. You know, we're using technology as much as we can, Zoom calls and, you know, conference calls and as many different ways we can to get in contact with people without being able to see them face to face. You know, so we're trying to use as much technology that's out there to keep the lines of communication open, keep working with people and, you know, learn as we go because this whole thing was a nonstop learning process, just continuous learning of as things change and how to tackle this. And our customers, you know, taught us something. And I hope along the way they think we helped them, taught them something too. 
Dave, I think that point of going to remote work is a pretty important one because Pfizer, what, sent 40,000 people to remote work you know, globally in a matter of days, not just locally, but it was a, a global phenomenon, not something a lot of us had baked into our plans was this global nature. How did that impact how the Pfizer team communicated internally and externally? Well, if we, we, you know, within, I would call it closer to 48 hours, we probably sent 30 some odd thousand people home. Wow. Um, and then I think, you know, some of our, you know, you know offshore locations and, and locations in other countries took another week or so, depending on where they were and what was the degree of lockdown in each of those different places. But, you know, for the most part, we moved the entire operation to remote. And one of the things that we, we learned was, and I think in the early days of the crisis, there was this sort of, you know, human capital as captive audience. Uh, you know, we were all at home. Everything was canceled. Everything was closed. And so this was this was almost, in some ways, a kind of a break from uh, from the monotony. Otherwise, but beyond that was the ability to use tools like you know Microsoft Teams and Zoom and other things, where instead of scheduling meetings, we would just literally just open rooms up and people would come in and out of them as they needed to, depending on what they were working on. And it was we created a video experience that was like all of us being in the office together. And that's the only way we probably would have been able to be successful with this idea around continuous iteration and continuous deploy, because we could literally take front-end engineers, architects, communications and marketing people, sales enablement, and back-end infrastructure people, put them all in a room at once. They were, and we knew that we could just ping them, we knew exactly where they were, and then we could go to clients immediately after we did a release and say, hey, you know, what do you think? How does this work for you? Is it better to do it this way? And we would just keep doing that on these, you know, very, in some cases, 24-hour long loops. Wow. And that, I mean, I came from a fintech startup, uh, but prior to joining jo- uh, prior to joining Pfizer. And, I mean, that's the that's the kind of fun that you used to have in a startup when you're working on a major release or on a new product. So, yeah. you know, that's, that's part of the, the crisis urgency for me is also just for my own self-preservation is just keeping that momentum going because it's so much more fun to do it that way. Yeah. Mike, I'm going to guess this is the first time you've had a credit committee not sitting around the same table holding pieces of paper, given that, you know, you're a community bank. I've sat in plenty of those. Is this something do you think that's going to stick, that, you know, it's gone to a lot less paper, a lot more continuous, and certainly was not face-to-face? Yeah, it was definitely the uh, first time for a lot of things along the way. But I can tell you, for example, our credit department, you know, used to all sit in the same little pot area of our headquarters and they would print out copies of CRMs to proofread for each other. You know, right off the bat, they took to, I mean, they're all younger kids and they're all, you know, tech natives and stuff, whatever terms you want to use. But right off the bat, they were sending scans back to each other and copies electronically. And they have told me every single one of them that they prefer proofreading and doing PDF notes and sending stuff out. And they really prefer that. You know, we had Citrix up and running and used that as a remote option for a couple of years now. Didn't get used a lot, used occasionally if someone had to log on quick at night, occasionally to finish a report or something. But within a matter of days, like Dave said, we rolled out everyone working from home, you know, how to, how to roll that up. We were taking monitors off desks, taking apart monitors. I brought monitors in from home to send home with people to hook up the laptops to give people the, you know, capabilities and, you know, the efficiency to work from home instead of working on a little laptop, they had extra screens and stuff. But in terms of our overall credit structure, I don't bring paper copies anymore. I bring it right up on my iPad. You know, we're working on trying to get some of our 
you know, directors and other people to do that. They're still not there yet. But I do think overall, there's going to be a change over time of people not eating the paper, you know, a comfort level with calling in. I mean, we haven't had an in-person meeting for anything, credit officers, Elko, marketing, anything since early March at this point. And I mean, the bank's still running and everything's still working well. And I think it's taken some time for people to realize that you can accomplish quite a bit without having to sit in the same room with someone. A number of topics that used to be the third rail, you know, the topic no one wanted to touch because they were considered impossible and potentially even deadly, suddenly became, you know, not only possible, but critical to solve immediately. We move from we can't, we can't, we can't to we must. And, you know, you just described that level of necessity drove change. Were there any other topics that previously, you know, were up on that pedestal of being impossible that that were knocked off? Yeah, I would say off the top of my head, there was no need for meeting. It's You're going to kind of laugh, but actual wet signatures on stuff. You know, wet signatures <laughs> used to be a really important thing in banking for everything. You know, CRA approvals, actual documents. And pretty quickly, everybody realized, hey, we really, we could do a lot without having to have see pen to paper. I know it's kind of a, you know, funny one, but that that was just something very simple that fell by the wayside very quickly. I'm going to have uh, to rewrite one of my talks uh, when I give the joke about no one actually needs a signature card, you know, to open that checking account, you know, <laughs> like it's no longer a joke. We don't do it. So, but yeah, stuff, I mean, simple stuff like that, you know, notarizing loan documents. I mean, doing notaries by Zoom call. I mean, I, I had, that didn't even cross people's mind before, but, you know, at least in our bank, you know, but doing notaries via Zoom call was something that people started doing very early in the process. So just some simple things that just fell by the wayside very quickly. Even when we were rolling the PPP up, it wasn't, you know, let's have a PPP committee. Who's going to sit on it? It was just everybody started working on it. Let's figure out how to do it. Let's get it done as a group, you know, and we split up to the two tracks like we talked about earlier. At no point in time did everybody working at PPP sit in the same call or in the same room. It was everybody was getting stuff done at different stages at different times and just collaborating and sharing information along the way kind of in an ever-evolving process, like Dave kind of mentioned how he was rolling out his work in teams. Yeah, Dave, what sacred cows did you see tipped over? So some of them would be as benign as we have release windows for doing things like opening firewalls, and you'll have to wait till Tuesday in order for us to do this. No, we're going to do it right now. And when you ask why why Tuesday, they're like, I don't know, it's always been Tuesday, Tuesday's firewall day sort of thing. So you know, we, we, we changed some of those processes. Um, but then the other thing is, like we had a number of our clients that would jump into our our teams calls as well and show us what they were seeing as they were manually entering things into eTran or if they had gotten you know a different type of a communication and they allowed us to jump into their calls as they were having meetings internally as well. And I don't know if that's a sacred cow per se, but you no, know, there is that whole just the idea of you know saying I spent my career in product development, product management. And every once in a while, you'd think to yourself, like, yeah, it would be really great if we could just ask the client this question instead of us all sitting around the table wondering what the best way to attack a particular challenge is. But, you know, just having our clients actually allow us to log into their own internal calls and have dialogue around the table just like we were a member of the bank, I think is really fascinating. And, again, it's one of those things that we'll just take forward as now a standard practice. Yeah. Um, and that and that that allows us to dramatically improve the throughput and quality of the software that we build because you're doing that in real time with, alongside our clients. And it, and I hate I'm I'm not a big fan of the masterpiece 
sort of approach where we do these very large releases and then, you know, drop the giant carcass on the table and say, like, look what we did. You know, you know, being able to collaborate in, in real time with our clients is very important because at the end of the day, they're the ones, they're the users, they're the people we have to have empathy for. And never was there a time for greater user empathy than, than EPP and what we were trying to accomplish, which was, as Mike said, you know, saving, not just saving small businesses, but people that you know personally yeah. and being able to help them, right? Well, and it takes that extreme event. All you could think of as you were describing that is vulnerability. It take, even with people you know, it takes a lot to have that level of vulnerability to you know ask the question, to say you don't know, to avoid the masterpiece perfectionist syndrome. You know, let me wait until it's perfect to drop it on you. Now, I'm curious for both of you as we wrap up here, are there things that we need to change that we haven't, that the, the event was either not extreme enough or we haven't encountered, but now that we have momentum, what else do we need to change for the good of the industry? Dave, why don't we start with you and sure. Mike, as you think about that as well. I think, you know, and even in listening to Mike, too, it's just the idea that the, the conventions of the operations of the bank can be challenged now in a, in a safer way than it has been before. So whether it's notary by, by a Zoom call or... Um, Tuesday is firewall day. I love Tuesday that. firewall day, right? I don't actually think Tuesday is firewall day. If I sort of have to check. But, you know, <laughs> the, the, that, just this idea of just like these existing conventions have been there for so long, and after a while you don't realize they're even there. And, and, and you don't ask your question, you don't ask the logical question, which is why are they there in the first place? And I think that that will transform a lot of back office processes and operations within the bank. And Fiserv in particular will, will need to keep pace with the desire to change those processes. In large part, because as Mike said, like there's just a, there, there was always just the preconception that we had to have people either sitting directly beside each other or always sitting in a room or always looking at pieces of paper. And now we've proven that we don't need those things. And so now you're the change agents in the bank like Mike are going to walk around and say, okay, well, what else can we change? And why do we do it this way? And I feel like that, that, that energy needs to continue in terms of your question of what needs to change. I just think we need to keep up the energy and the focus on innovation. Mike, I don't know that you probably walked into your role at Belmont Bank and Trust saying, I am an agent of change so much as a credit officer, but now you are one. What else do you want to see change? I think the whole concept that we just touched on of that's how we all, that's how we've always done things is why we do it that way. That whole concept needs to just go out the window. You know, it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with questioning why we underwrite something a certain way or why we always approach our marketing the same way. You know, we can ask questions and challenge those assumptions. You know, that is bankers are so risk adverse in general. And that's coming from a credit guy. You know, I'm probably the most risk adverse guy in the whole bank, but. You can't be afraid of changing something because of the risk. And I really like the concept that Dave mentioned of don't let the masterpiece, don't let perfection be the enemy of the good and stuff that roll stuff out. Getting 90% of the way there the first time around is a lot better than waiting an extra three months to get 100% of the way there. Absolutely. And I think as we go into this recovery, having agents of change in that momentum and energy you've both described from both the technology provider and the boots on the ground, the community banks that for many were that economic first responder that Main Street's going to need more of, you know, I'm glad to hear both of you are keeping that momentum going and fanning those flames of change. Thank you for joining us. 
Look for future episodes of Forward at Fiserv.com slash forward and soon on major podcasting platforms.